So good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, so Dave asked me to come today and in his absence, um, bring a little bit of teaching up here. And uh, I've had something on my mind for this past week, and I figured, you know what, maybe that's what God wants me to, to talk about. Um, also, it's very soon to where me and my family, we're going to be traveling halfway across the country, uh, very close to where the Williams are. And so I kind of thought of it in a sense of when someone leaves somewhere, when someone's at the end of their life or what have you, normally they, their, um, their final farewell is kind of summed up some of the most important things they would want the people around them to know. And so this is going to kind of be that, um, along with um, looking kind of, not necessarily looking at all the, the details of the incarnation, which the, the birth of Christ, the, the manifestation of God in the flesh. Um, I want to kind of pull back and show the implications of that. And so uh, I do want to read a little bit in John chapter 1 because that kind of gives a full-orbed like, purpose, the light coming into the world. Um, I'm, I'm gonna, let me read that first here. In John chapter 1, I'm just going to be, read 1 to 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And here encompasses the entire incarnation. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only, of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth." Um, in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, it says that when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a lesson or a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So each one of us has something that we can bring. And here, um, I want to bring a little bit of a lesson and instruction. This message, like I said, is kind of a, a parting gift to all of you. We don't have very much time to go out and looking for gifts, and we don't really have too much money to spend on a whole bunch of gifts. But you know what I have? That I'll give. 
And I'm thankful to my family that allows me to be able to even look into anything and understand God and understand his word so I can bring it to them and so I can bring it to everyone that's in my life. Because that's ultimately the, what I'm going to get at is, is the meaning of life. It's true worship. I hope that we can see some things that God would encourage us with by meditating on it. And considering the application, considering what it really means. Our task for existing is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is the whole duty of man. Okay? So regardless what job you're in, regardless where you live, regardless how old you are, the purpose of us being created as human beings is to display the glory of God in this world and enjoy it while we're doing it. That's where true fulfillment comes in. I want to start off asking a couple of questions. What's Christmas? What's worship? How are the two connected? That's kind of what I hope to, to do here, to show that connection. What do we learn about worship around surrounding the birth of Christ? I mean, it's a baby being in a, in a manger. You know, so many babies are born every single day. What's different about this one, aside from the fact that it's God in the flesh? What are we really celebrating? You know, we look, around our, we look around our culture and we see a whole bunch of things that people are celebrating. From different religions to different little traditions that people have. There's a whole bunch of stuff being celebrated today. But does what we celebrate, does it actually bring honor and glory to God? Does it do that? That takes a lot of soul searching. That takes a lot of being in the Word and being in the presence of God, communicating with Him daily. We need to have the right meaning of something before we can actually have the right picture or the practice, right? Because if I say a word to you, a flower, you all just had an image of some flower in your mind. And they're probably all different in one way or another. But if I told you, picture a yellow flower with a brown middle section where the seeds are, with sharp pointy leaves, maybe even throw thorns in it. Now we're, now we're all linked. We're seeing the same thing here. That's what I want us to do and understand when it comes to worship. To have the right meaning of worship is the most important thing that you can understand in your existence because it's literally what we've been created for and we fall short of every single day. But nevertheless, God calls us to it. And we don't have any excuse not to do it because He's given everything that we need. What images or series of images, whether it's a still image or kind of like a motion picture, like a movie that runs through your mind, when you think of worship, what images come to your mind? 
I know if we, if we were to have kind of like those icebreaker questions where everyone asked everyone here, what is worship? We get a whole bunch of answers. Now what matters, what's most important, is whether or not those answers line up with God's perspective on the subject. Right? As Christians, we say we follow the scriptures. We say we follow God. Follow the Spirit. What does that mean? What image do we have in our mind when we have those things? Because they're going to affect everything. What we have to say in our mind when we have these images, when we hear the word worship, that thing that's in our mind, let's ask it the question, does God agree? How do we know that God agrees with that? Can we know for sure that God agrees with it? I believe because it's something unimaginably important that God's, God's laid it out for us in His Word, and we can understand it. We have many, many examples in the Scripture as to what God approves of and what God does not approve of in worship, personal or public. I'm not talking about any specific one there, because worship, as we're going to learn, encompasses every single moment of your life. As believers, we are owned by the Creator, and happily so. We will decide whether when it comes to our perspective on something or God's perspective to take our perspective, put it on the back if it does not agree with the perspective of our Creator. He knows what's best for us. So Christmas starts off with God's example of a life, a life of humble devotion and joy-filled obedience, right? For the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, despising the shame. It was for joy that Christ came into this world, knowing every single thing that would happen to Him, that He would have nowhere to lay His head, that He would be cast off from birth. He would be cast off to the side as someone who is not even worthy to be helped in any way. It was a joy-filled obedience to the purpose and the person of God. That's important. The purpose and the person of God. Because out of love for God, Jesus shows us we are concerned about the purpose of God. We take marriage. The image of... Oh, am I, am, I, am I just deciding to do what I want, how I want, in regards to my wife? Do I have the leisure to enjoy myself at the cost of her? No, that wouldn't be me loving my wife. I have con I've got to consider what she thinks about the way I treat her. Why is it any different with God? Why do we not consider, in general, why do people not consider what God and His perspective on things are? And especially within the area of worship. God sees worship as really, really important. And He's prescribed for us how to do it. 
And if we didn't get it in all the Old Testament on how he was showing us what it looks like to be set apart, to be someone who is completely devoted to a life of honoring God, he gave us Jesus. So where's our example? Let's try to learn from it. We can learn from many angles what God has revealed to us about Christ's incarnation. We could pick a whole bunch of things to talk about. We could talk about the fact that he's the word. We could talk that he's come into the world. We could, we, we could talk about so many different things surrounding that, the birth of Christ, what we uh, celebrate traditionally as Christmas. We can learn... We can learn some really, really important things about worship in the Incarnation. I want us to take a look at Jesus with the goal of determining His understanding and examples of worship. Not arbitrarily, not just kind of making it up as I go. I have one example here on the fact that Jesus, He took the lowest form and entrance into this world. The lowest birth by young parents who were alone and in a feeding trough. Not even a bed. He didn't come in in pomp and show himself and declare himself standing up and saying, I am the king. Humility doesn't do that. Humility lets someone else do it. So the angels took that job. And the angels declared his praise to people who were the cast off of society. They were the people that was like, I don't want that job. That's like the trash truck drivers around you. Like, oh, we don't want that job. God came to them. He declared his praise to them. He came as the perfect image of service, servanthood. That's humility. That's an aspect of worship. He's showing us that it doesn't matter how we're seen by people. What matters is whether we are humbly serving our God and in turn, humbly serving our neighbor. Right? He chose to be helpless. Get that. The God of the universe chose to be helpless and reliant on teenagers to provide all of his needs. Yeah, we know that God, the Father, he provided everything for him. But he chooses means, right? He chose this means to provide for the creator of the universe. People no one knew to provide for the king of the universe. And Jesus was helpless. He really was. He could have, been, he could have just been picked up and dropped. But he wasn't. Because he, he was given to humble parents. Hmm. Humble savior. Humble parents. Think humility might be a part of worship here? I think it does. He 
chose to be helpless and reliant on Mary and Joseph for every single one of his needs. That was God's provision. And he trusted that. Trusted it so much, he left glory to be involved in that. I don't even know all the implications of that. I don't think any of us could ever. But he left that for that in, our, in, in, in worldly standards would be unsure, not knowing what's going to happen. Where's my provision going to come from? We've been dealing with that a lot lately. Like, God, this thing is, you know, everything with our house is relying on this one thing, and God gets everything else in place but that one thing. But the one thing. He had everything in place for the Savior, but it didn't change the fact that he gave it all up. What we see is complete, selfless, willing, and committed devotion to the cause of the Father. That starts with that humility. Not my purpose. It's not my life. It's not my will. But your will be done, Father. Jesus kept that from going into his birth all the way up into the Gospels where we read about him in the future talking about the same exact thing. We see that it's a love a love of the person and the will of God that's shown, okay? Get this, that's shown in a faith evidenced in particular works. It guides the decisions we make. It guides everything in our life. This love of God, this humility, this complete selfless commitment. Getting a picture of worship here, right? By looking at our Savior. He's the ultimate example. We learn from Jesus that worship affects our mind, our bodies, our family, our occupation, our recreation, the language we use, the desires we have, the decisions we make, the standards of our thinking, the process, even the very process of our thinking, every thought coming into our minds, kind of like the, my, the way my mind kind of works when I'm thinking of different things, it's almost like a conveyor belt of thoughts that are coming across my mind. And I have to choose whether to engage that thought or not to engage that thought. If I choose not to, to let it go by. And if not, and I choose to, how am I going to engage it? I can engage it towards God or I can engage it away from God. Psalm chapter 1, right? Walking, standing, sitting. Towards ungodliness, towards godliness. Every moment of our life is that decision. And this is why Christ, I believe, calls us to be present right now. Not to be concerned about the future, not to be concerned about the past. Because we need all that we can in order to deal with right now. Our faith and trusting in Him will take care of all the rest. It'll take care of the purpose for the past, and it'll take care of what's going to happen in the future. We, need to be, we don't need to be concerned about that right now. That's organic worship. Living worship. That's worshiping in spirit and in truth. 
The worship also affects our fears and our interactions with people. Pretty big, right? These things that I just mentioned, what they do is they affect our actions, they affect our physical, mental, and spiritual health, they, ref- they affect our relationships, what we're, attained, what we're entertained by, our word usage, our joke content, the paths to our conclusions, and the tendencies we have to move toward or away from things inside or outside of us. Because all of us have things inside or outside of us, and all of us deal with all those different things. But how are we responding? And our worship of God is going to be brought to bear on all those little things in our life. Worship is all-encompassing of our lives. And what we're doing here, that's just a tiny extension. Tiny extension. God calls us to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. The way we think. Everything. In the illustration God gives in the incarnation, He teaches us the meaning and purpose for our existence. It's not ourselves. Our meaning and our purpose is not ourselves. And if it is, you're dreadfully wrong. I could say that because the scriptures say that. I don't just say it for myself. And it's something I have to deal with on a daily basis. We all do with all the decisions that we have. And I would encourage you to walk, to stand, to sit in the path that goes to God, in the path that He guides us on, the path that He has given us, and not the path that we're trying to cut on our own. In our souls, we bow down. That's what the word worship means. It's to bow down, to be prostrate before. Like someone would go before a king. We wouldn't go before a king and be irreverent. We would consider, what is this king going to think about how I'm talking, my tone, my actions, everything. There would be a lot of things that come into our mind. We would be dreadfully afraid because a king can off with your head if you don't come in the right way. And that's exactly what has happened to many people. This king of the universe, he deserves our respect. He deserves our honor. He even tells us there's a holiness without which we cannot see the Lord. So there's a type of being set apart that doesn't actually get us to where we say we want to be as believers. That gets people like in, uh, I think it's Luke chapter 13, I think it was Luke chapter 7 or 13. The um, Lord, Lord, have we not done this? Have we not done that in your name? And he will say to those, depart from me, I never knew you. There's a holiness without which... That ought to be something that gets us deep down. Because when we see, when, when people came into contact with the God of the universe, what did they do? They fell on their faces. Because they recognized, this is, this is really important. He truly is an 
awesome God. And I don't just mean that just because it's cool. He inspires awe when we truly understand who He is. The God of the universe inspires your awe. You can't help it. You become undone at the seams when you see His character. You become undone at the seams when you hear His words, when you see His standard, when you see His perfection. We look to each other to see a little tiny glimpse of the example that we need to be. Christ gives us the full-orbed understanding of what you ought to be. (laughs) Worship, summed up, is the love of God and the love of neighbor. With the first part, guiding and defining our relationships around each other. So our love of God is going to guide and define what it even looks like to love our neighbor. What it even looks like to do anything before God. And if God's, if God's word is about us understanding and knowing Him, that we might be able to worship Him, and He sums everything He has to say to love God and love your neighbor, complete and utter devotion to the benefit, to the good, to the pleasure of the one loved is what we do, right? I show, I show devotion and love and kindness. I try to fail very, very much to my wife because I love her. You love God? Do we love God here? And if we love God here, are we concerned about how He sees the actions and the thoughts and everything that we, that we put in His direction? God, I'm going to do this because I'm so happy. Alright, well, can our children sometimes do something out of excitement that they think is excitement, they think is really good for us, they think we'd really, really enjoy it, but they don't understand certain things about it, and so they act in ignorance, and it's actually not something that honors the parent. But the parent can see, and they check the heart of the child, and they know, I know, they, they, didn't, they didn't do that the right way, or what have you, but I know their heart in the situation. I know, what they, I know why they're doing what they're doing. And then we, then we, care, we caringly show our children I really appreciate that you did that. I really appreciate how you thought about me. I really appreciate how you wanted to honor me in that way. But let me show you the better way. Let me show you what it looks like. Let me show you why what you're thinking about that isn't necessary. It doesn't actually end in that. God does this with us. That's why I bring that up. Because we we have many examples in the scripture of people going and offering strange fire or trying to hold up the ark when they were told not to touch the ark and it's only the Levite priests. And many other examples. Oh, um, and sacrificing in the temple when it's supposed to be the Levites. There's these different situations that happen that surround the worship of God. And how did God deal with them? God killed Uzzah for touching the ark. He killed him.
I hope that what that does is that helps us to see and understand that God is really serious about our worship. He is serious about it. But in that seriousness, we have the freedom to jump around and dance, as David did, right? So there's something about this worship of God that is reverent, that is awe-inspiring, and at the same time allows for the expression of our natural, um, our natural tendencies, our joy, our excitement. It does allow for that. So don't get that, that, that what I'm saying here is that we need to be all like little monks or something somewhere. Um, that's not what I'm getting at. I'm getting at each one of us thinking and, and, tr- and strongly considering that the actions that we do, the thoughts that we think, the, the entertainment that we seek, the words that we use, that we would consider these. In the story of the incarnation, we find a star, we find less than adequate accommodations, We find an unreceptive, lost world engrossed in their own values. We find a receptive, cast-off section of people, the lowest, the shepherds. We hear the greatest news ever. Oh, who hear the greatest news ever? We see a a humble pair, humble couple, committed to God's task, regardless of the personal discomfort that it brought them. We see a dark evening, and we see a promise fulfilled. This is the step. This is the scenery for teaching us the start of what it looks like to worship God. And then we continue reading on, and we learn about Christ's life, and the things that He did, and the parables He spoke, and all these things that happen, reaffirming and strengthening what was started there in the manger. In Christ's entrance and life, we read, a, we read about a humble reliance on God and His mode of provision. Okay, Because sometimes we want to be provided in certain ways, right? I want to be provided, I want to be able to have enough left over when we move so that we can have, so that, you know, we don't have to be really concerned about the, the money stuff. Is that God's mode? Because if it's not God's mode, we shouldn't want it. Because it's actually not good for us if we were to do opposite, however much provision we think we have. We find faith in God in practice when we look at Jesus, because He was truly 100% man. He was 100% God, but He was 100% man. I have no idea how that works out, but it does. God declares it. I believe it. We see faith and practice in the Son obeying the Father and in the couple obeying God. We see the unreceptiveness of the world to God's purpose and His messengers. God had a purpose, salvation. God had messages with which He was going to bring that about. The world didn't care about either one of them. So don't let that have you to lose heart. When you're going and you're worshiping God according to spirit, in spirit and in truth, and the world doesn't accept you. That's not your point. That's not your purpose for existence. 
Your purpose is to shine that light that came into the world that shuns it, doesn't want it. The darkness flees from the light, doesn't want to have anything to do with the light. And it's only when God comes in and changes the heart of a person from the inside out that they can even perceive that light. We find out here in this story that God exalts the humble. So those who put themselves low, God raises them up. Those with eyes to see can see that God became a baby and it was ushered into the world with shouts of praise, not of himself, but like I mentioned before, of the angels in heaven. I also want to talk about what worship isn't. Worship isn't exuberant dancing and singing, well-lit stages, temp-controlled rooms, programs, or Bible study, fellowship service, or humble actions, or religious actions. Every moment of life, we worship or we blaspheme God. Okay? True worship may have those things that I just mentioned. But those things that I just mentioned are not worship. Because the worship is done within a certain context, right? Human beings do these. And they do these for certain motives, right? I want a temp-controlled room so I can be comfortable. Is that our top priority? I know brothers and sisters who are in Haiti. They don't have temp control. They sweat a lot. And it's just hot and muggy. You can cut the air with a knife. But they show up. They worship God together. So it's not those things. It's not these, these things that in, in, in might make it easier to worship. So that we can just do it in a comfortable way. But if, that, if that's what we're looking at. If we think just Bible study is worship, we're wrong. Bible study with the purpose of understanding and knowing God in His will. Worship. To be able to love our neighbor as ourself. That's worship. But I can do humble actions so I can rob a bank. I can, I can have fellowship and Bible studies with people so that I can learn about them, so I can learn how to steal from them. So it's not those things. It's the worshiper that's much more important than those things the, worship, the worshiper does. The greatest... Um, so what we can learn... I'll start finishing up with this. What we can learn is that every moment of life we worship or we blaspheme God. We, we can learn that the greatest leaders and authority worship in serving others. Okay, If I've been created to be a leader of some kind, there's a particular way that God would have me to worship Him. From a mother, there's a particular way God wants me to worship Him. From a brother, particular way. From a father, particular way. From an employee or not an employee. From a business owner. There's particular ways that God wants us to worship Him. So let us find, let us use the discernment that God's Word gives us to determine, how do I do that? 
And let us all be in the Word and in fellowship with God in such a way that we can learn just as much having a five-minute conversation with each other as we can from someone, sitting, from someone standing at a pulpit and giving a diatribe of information. And I would argue that those interpersonal relationships are far more powerful than someone standing up here. Far more powerful. Because I don't know everything that's going on in each, every, each and every one of you guys' life. So I can't possibly give exact things on how you can deal with these certain subjects in your life. But if we have a conversation and I hear you talking and saying something, and I'm, and I'm in fellowship with my God and in His Word, now I can apply directly to your situation. And isn't those, aren't those the times where we look at and we say, wow, that was an amazing conversation. That changed my life forever because now I see something completely different. Doesn't that happen? Children learn how to respectfully obey their parents. Men learn how to use their strength and their leadership to bring good to their friends, their family, and others. And we learn the tenderness and gentleness of a mother. All from thinking about the implications of God coming in the flesh. We can learn all those things. Worshiping in spirit and truth may contain or be expressed in all these things, but worship is not limited to these things. Worship is a whole life. And so that which is done in private life will promote and strengthen the public life, and vice versa. So learn, learn from the Incarnation. Humility, service, obedience. These three main things. Learn these about it because it's not about you. This life is not about us. This life is about loving God with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole body, and all of our strength. And we're to love our neighbor as ourself. In that, everything summed up. Worship God and truly consider how important the tiny little decisions that you make day in and day out and the direction that you go with each one of those decisions. Will that bring you to hearing, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will it leave you bewildered when you stand before God and say, but I thought... And he responds with, depart from me, I never knew you. That has got to be the most sobering passage in the entire, the entire Bible. These are people, just kind of a side note, I've heard that when the Jews, or even, even us, when we, we double a word that we say, you know, it gives importance to the word. So like the Jews, it would be, oh, that's a pit. Little pit. That's a pit pit. It's really big. That's a pit, pit, pit. That is the biggest pits of all pits I could possibly imagine. God emphasizes different things to us. 
And I would emphasize... I would emphasize that... Well, actually, God's Word emphasizes... When those people come to, come to Jesus on that day, they say, Lord, Lord. These people emphatically believed that what they were doing was honoring God. They emphatically believed it. And they had proof to show that it really looked real. And it's those people that Jesus casts off. This is where we come and understand the reverence part of God. He has the power to both cast body and soul into the hell of fire. So, please consider those things. I leave you guys with that. If there's nothing else that I would would say before we go, I think the most important thing is your worship before God and how that manifests in your life because it's evidence of what's going on on the inside. So, thank you all. I hope it was a blessing. I hope you learned some stuff and that you can apply these things in your life and then some. So, with that, grace and peace.